welcome once again to the Chapter 49 podcast. My name is Larry Lannon. I'm a retiree and a volunteer for Chapter 49. In case you don't know, maybe listen to this for the very first time. NTEU Chapter 49 represents most IRS employees in the state of Indiana. We certainly welcome you to our podcast. And as always, my partner, sometimes we have guests, but my usual partner is Duncan Giles, president of NTEU Chapter 49. And uh, Duncan, we've made it another week. So far, it's still not the end of the day. Not the end of the day, and it is uh, Friday, but it's almost the end of the week. Every week, you and I uh, go over what we can talk about on this podcast, and uh, we've only had maybe a week or two where we've had to kind of look for some kind of an issue, because there are so many that are obvious that we sadly, and sadly, they're not always good news, but this is news that we need to talk about and people need to know. And when we talked about the subjects this week, something I saw on the news this morning, I thought this had to be our number one discussion. And we're going to talk more about COVID in a minute. But March 11th, 2020 is sort of the unofficial time when in that year, two years ago, everybody seemed to understand based on what the media was reporting And the health professionals were telling all of us that COVID was big, it was going to be a problem, it was going to be here to stay for a while. Not the kind of anniversary you want to celebrate. But Duncan, I think if there's anything we can take from this, it's just how far we have all come. Uh, You look at IRS as an agency where we represent people in Indiana, most of the people in Indiana who work for IRS, and our larger organization, which represents the people, the, what's called the bargaining unit, the rank-and-file people who work at the IRS, and, and look at how far we have come. And NTs were part of the battle to try to deal with this and deal with what the employees are having to, to handle as a result of, of this, this horrible pandemic. You know, we have come a long way. We have vaccines that can help prevent it. We're now beginning to develop medications where if you do end up with COVID, you, you'll not be in a life-threatening situation. There'll still be some deaths, but it'll be more along the lines of what flu can do. It's, it's not the death sentence that it has been for so many people. When we look back at two years of COVID, I mean, there's been a lot of pain and there has been death and there has been some awful sides to this, but I think we need to realize we've come a long way, and to a large extent, we've somehow most of us have been able to get through this. Um, what are your thoughts? I I share your thoughts. It's it's been a horrible time, like you said, because I think everybody has been touched with if somebody they know hasn't passed, which I think just about everybody knows someone that's passed. Um, they either have had or know someone close to them who've been you know, impacted with COVID um, either directly or indirectly and may still be feeling the effects of, if you, especially with long-term COVID. So it's it's been a very tough experience, but I take my hat off, uh, if I was wearing one, I'd off my hat, to the folks of the IRS who are just shown their resiliency and able to adapt go through what, you know, the obstacles that have been placed before us 
and still perform their job. And it has not been easy by any stretch of the imagination from the folks who are in submission processing in the campuses to the people on the phones, to our revenue officers, revenue agents, uh, tax compliance officers, the folks in taxpayer advocate. I mean, everybody's job has become much, much more difficult, but we've learned how to overcome those obstacles and move forward. And I think that is just a wonderful, wonderful um, thing that has been shown about how employees can move forward in times of crisis. And I think the entire service has shown that. You know, what I remember most about about COVID was the fact that uh, I ended up with it, even though I was careful as I could be, and my wife tells me, yeah, you were careful, you still ended up getting it. Uh, I was fortunate enough to recover. It was before vaccines were available. And uh, you and I had uh, Tony Reardon on the podcast just shortly after I recovered from that. And what I remember is uh, doing something uncharacteristic. I said, Duncan, you're going to have to take this over. <laughs> you're going to have to. You're going to have to ask the questions here because I'm not sure how. But I did uh, to participate a little bit. But I can tell you, as having had it and had it pretty badly, I, I was at a point where I couldn't move out of a chair or a bed very easily. Um, and the fact that I did recover, I, I've been thankful for that every day since I've done that because it was at a time when not everyone was. So we have, you know, we've had a lot of pain. We've lost too many people. We have people who still have that long haul issue who just uh, never completely recover. And we're still not sure what, you know, people like me are going to end up seeing later on if we'll see a, something come up. But overall, you know, it, it's it's the fact that we have, as a society, as a government agency, we seem to be getting through this. So if there's any anything positive, I guess that's it. And the fact that we do have tremendous advances that have been put online very quickly with new technology to deal with it. I think we should always remember that. Yeah, that's one of those things where people talk about, well, you know, these vaccines have come up overnight. No, they have not come up overnight. Um my girlfriend, who is in the medical research field, um, very, very smart, very sharp. And as she's, you know, she's told me numerous times, these types of things were in the works for many, many years. And then they adapted it to COVID to fight that. So it's just something that when, you know, it still shows what we can do when we need to turn on a dime. It's not easy to turn the American people or the IRS in particular, on a dime when we're all too often running full speed at the iceberg, as, as my Titanic reference, and instead of swerving, you know, say, okay, can we go any faster? Um, but this way, we were able to do our jobs in ways we've never done them before and are still continuing to do it that way and do it successfully. Yes, is everything perfect? It, no, and it's never going to be. But we are adapting, we are moving forward, and we are getting the jobs done that we need to do for the American taxpayers, because deep down, that's what everybody is trying to do, do their best they can for the taxpayer. And I, and I just want to tell everybody out there that you're doing a wonderful job, and you are appreciated. Speaking of the job we're all trying to do, we do actually have some good news today. Number one, it looks like we have a budget. All the president has to do is sign it. He's been very clear he's going to sign it. 
Uh, and uh, what we will have is the largest increase in the IRS budget in at least what some observers are saying in 20 years. Uh, a lot of it going to, I'm not, we'll talk about where the money goes, but right now it looks like uh, we've got a $12.6 billion budget for the remainder of fiscal year 2022. That ends at the end of September of this year. Um, an increase of $675 million. Taxpayer services will go up by $225 um, million. Uh, enforcement's going to get more, 20, $225 million. Um, we're going to get uh, some money for business systems modernization to modernize our systems. It's just a beginning, but you have to start somewhere. That's $52 million, and that's uh, going to be very much appreciated. Uh, Duncan will stop complaining about the fact that his computer won't boot up correctly in the morning every morning. Uh, there's also going to be a transfer of $80 million from enforcement to operations support to try to work on this backlog, which we'll talk more about later in the paper inventory. So again, uh, the biggest funding increase in 20 years. It's been a long time coming, uh, but the Congress has been starving the IRS for a number of years. This is a welcome change. It certainly is, and it's one of those things where by any metric, you know, and you see it in different publications, anywhere from five to eight to one, any dollar you get will get you $5 to $8 that the IRS gets will return five to $8. And so for underfunding us for this year, all these years has not made any sense ever to me. Um, I'm very glad to see that Congress has finally gotten this done. Um, they're tying it in with the aid to the Ukraine, which um, I to Ukraine, the Ukraine, excuse me. And I think that's, you know, something that drove a lot of this. But I'm very glad that a, it's going there, but B, also that we're able to finally fund the government agencies the way they should be. We shouldn't be running continually on continuing resolutions. That is no way to run a railroad, as uh, you and I like to talk about. And it just needs to continue to, you know, Congress continues to need to do the work that they're supposed to be doing there. You know, I can hope that next year, next fiscal year, it'll be passed in time, but I'm not holding my breath for it. But I'm just very thankful for the bump that we've gotten this year and that we are going to have money to do hiring. We're going to have money to do uh, improving our systems. This is coming from a guy who uh, I think it was Monday or Tuesday I had to boot up, I think, six times before it finally decided to connect to the uh, to the LAN. And I'm in the office. I'm not using um, remote here. I'm, I'm in the office directly connected to it, and it took six times to do that. So any improvements that we can get we're, are going to be greatly appreciated. So the chapter presidents are uh, in front and center, in front of the line to get refreshments uh, of their equipment. Is that what you're saying? I certainly do. I expect to get a 1990s computer any day now. <laughs> As an improvement. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, and we joke about it, but even I was a manager. We had, managers had trouble getting the latest technology, too. So it's sort of a... Uh, is across the the service problem. So let's let's hope that will will be helped to to some extent. But what 
uh, we can dovetail from that into what IRS is proposing to do in terms of trying to get this paper backlog done. Part of it is, you know, you shared some information with me a couple of weeks, two, three weeks ago, that this paper inventory, and includes original returns, amended returns, adjustments, all sorts of things submitted by paper, that there was somewhere between 11 and 12 million if you put the individual and the business returns all together. Well, the Washington Post, I think, quoted the taxpayer advocate as saying it's 24 million. So we start off not even knowing how big the inventory is. Why, why is this, do you think? Um, I wish I could tell you. I've asked this very question. I've not been able to get a straight answer from anyone. And I know that's going to surprise a lot of people that you can't get a straight answer sometimes from high-level executives. It's shocking. I'm telling you, it's very shocking. Um, but the, the main thing that we know is it's just, it's a huge, huge number. It's multiplied many times by what we usually have. And it's been uh, not just the pandemic. It's also been because we just don't have enough people doing the work. And it's it's a tough, tough situation. And again, as I alluded to earlier, everybody wants to do the best they can for the American taxpayer and help people. That's why that's part of the reason we're here. We want to help people. And it's just, you know, we keep rolling the boulder uphill and it keeps rolling back down. There it never seems to be an end in sight. Well, and, and uh, as I understand it, uh, part of this uh, effort to get uh, paper processing done uh, there are a couple of things going on. One, there are going to be job fairs, first in Kansas City, where a big portion of that paper inventory is worked. Then in Austin, where there had been plans to wind that paper processing down. Well, okay, we're not going to, after all, as a service. Service is saying that as we. The service is, is not winding it down. After all, we actually could have a job fair and try to hire some people. I understand the processing center in Ogden, Utah, is having a job fair. Here's the problem. What sorts of jobs are we going to offer these people, Duncan? There you go. That's one of the, there. That's it exactly. It's the definition of insanity is continuing to do the same thing over and over again and expecting a different result. You can have job fairs. You can, you know go out there on sites like LinkedIn and really press and let people know what jobs are out there and things of that nature. But the vast majority of these jobs that they're hiring for are starting off as seasonals. And even though that the president has raised the minimum federal wage to federal employees to $15 an hour, you're still looking at grade twos, grade threes, um, phone folks at grade, at grade fives. And you're just not going to get a whole bunch of people applying for that when they can start off making more money at Wendy's down the street than they can at the federal government. It's, you know, we, we talk to people all the time about the better benefits that we have, thrift savings plan, the pension, and there are some absolutely good options, but people are not looking at those. They're interested in the bottom line. And if they can't get a permanent job, job security is versus seasonal, and something better wage starting, it's not going to change that much is my fear. So again, the service needs people, to, and they're trying to find them. And, you know, even though it's, 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 
pretty clerical work, some of it. Uh, it's entering data and it's opening envelopes and sorting and all that kind of thing. Uh, you still have to get some training and understand what you're doing. So you can't just walk in day one and, and begin to efficiently process these things. And then there's the other part of this, which is the reassigning of people from call centers and enforcement work at SBSE. Uh, the fact is there will be people who will have reasonable accommodations and so forth who are going to have trouble dealing with the this other job to which they are assigned do we you know the, the original idea was 1200 people would be assigned in uh, W&I uh, now it's it may not be that many SBSE the enforcement people there's going to be some reassignments there um, just how many people will end up being reassigned is a question to which you still do not have an answer and that's it exactly um i've attended and some of my brethren across the country have attended meetings where they've talked about and explained this. I attended one um, recently where I literally had to send something to the person that did the presenting, the executive that did the presenting and the other manager who was on there to say, I'm not sure what your intention was in welcoming people and how you're doing this, but this did not go well, not answering any questions not taking, you know, not taking a look at the things that are in the chat box. Um, it, it was, you know, a rah-rah session is not the way to go in this. People are upset. They are being told, okay, you've put in, you know, you've been working this one job. Now you're being pulled to do another one, whether it's in submission processing or whether it's going back to the telephones. You're not getting a choice. And because it's an emergency, national NTU, regardless of what the IRS says, was literally blindsided when they decided to do this. We knew the inventory was high. We knew it was bad. But, you know, we were asking, what are you going to do? What are you going to do? Well, they didn't have a plan for that. They didn't know. And then all of a sudden they sprang this on. Oh, yeah, NTU knows all about it. No, we didn't know the details, still didn't know the details, and are still negotiating these uh, these types of situations for impacts uh, on employees. So it's it's just one of those things that's incredibly frustrating. And I realize that IRS leadership at the top is grasping at straws. I understand that. But communication, open communication is always better. And that's that always upsets me when I think that it's not being done. Well, here's the, the real issue here, I think. Uh, having been on the union side and the management side of my IRS career, management had a decision. Management could have brought NTEU into it and say, we got this problem and we'd like you to help us find the best solution that will work. But management chose not to do that. Management chose to make this an adversarial situation by just uh, refusing to answer questions when we brought it up before as a union and then just said, oh, here's what we're doing. You can an uh, NTU can answer your questions. Well, no, NTU could not answer your questions. NTU had no idea what was going on. And for management to roll this out with something like a hey, raw, raw kind of, not, I'm not saying that's a wrong thing to do all the time. But when you're unwilling to answer questions because, number one, you don't have any answers. Mm -hmm. And number two, you know that the questions you're going to get are not going to be friendly questions. Yeah. then uh, don't make NTEU 
the bad person in this, and he had nothing to do with this decision, wasn't even properly briefed on it in time. So uh, it's been bad feelings all the way around. And now we have to have formal negotiations over this because the management decided not to bring NTEU in as, as a solution. We have now become part of the problem, and I hate to say it, but it was a decision of the top management chain that caused this to be a problem, in my view. I'd like yours. I, I absolutely agree with this. I think it was um, because when we talk about management chain, this was brought by one division to the commissioner. The commissioner signed off on it. Other business divisions didn't have any idea this was coming. It was as much surprise to them as it was to National NTEU, which is, again, a heck of a way to run a railroad. We're supposed to be one IRS, and that's I love when I hear that now. We're all one IRS. No, no, we're not. I wish we were supposedly someday under, you know, our restructuring, we're going to be one IRS again. I'll believe it when I see it. Um, But right now it's okay. It's, it's crisis management, which the IRS has done for, you know, my 20 years as chapter president is just, okay, pre-plan, think ahead. Now we don't want to do that. We'll wait until it blows up in our face and then we'll react. Well, you know, if they'd have come to us a year ago and said, look, these are really piling up. We need to start doing something about this. What's the best way? Let's plan the best way. Both of us plan the best way to move forward, you know, and incentivize people instead of drafting. You know, are you looking at, you know, special managers awards or anything like that for people who are pulled from their regular jobs to do this? I mean, there, there are a whole bunch of things that could have been done at that time to make it much more palatable for employees to want to do this, to want to help instead of being made to feel like they're being forced to because they are. You know, you talk about restructuring, my gosh, you know, when I started with the service, I kind of got the history about how uh, IRS, uh, the tax agency that morphed when, when the income tax was enacted in the twenties was more basically run out of Washington, D.C. Well, there was a scandal, I think, during the uh, Truman administration. So the Truman people decided, all right, we're going to diffuse the authority here. Washington's not going to call all the shots. We're going to set up regions. We'll have regional offices that will be uh, geographic in nature, handling their geographic areas, and we'll put districts in below them. So there's going to be layers of management. You won't have some scandalous thing happening in Washington where all the decisions are made. Washington will still be making decisions, but uh, the structure will be more diffuse and it'll be difficult for somebody to have some kind of scandal. Well, in the late, uh, I think it was in the late 90s, uh, there was a decision to restructure again away from the geographic, geographical, if you will, a model to a business, or in other words, Charles Rosati, when he was the commissioner, set us up as basically a financial services agency. So we had these four business operating divisions and smaller divisions to run other support operations, you know, W&I, LB&I, uh, SBSE, you know, so we had all these divisions, um, and and uh, and they were supposed to be able to handle this and make us one IRS. When, as you remember, Duncan, you were 
getting involved in chapter activity when that was happening, when the districts left and the regions left, all of a sudden we have these stovepipes that didn't talk to each other. And I think this is part of the problem. You just talked about it. One division got to the commissioner's ear and pushed for a decision and got one, and the others were left out. And and that's not the right way to run anything, a railroad or a tax agency. It it truly is. Yeah, it's it's been there ha you know, there hasn't been a central authority at a lower level to make decisions between these different business units. As you um, you know, Colleen Kelly, the former national president of NTU, uh, labeled them, you know, eleven different IRSs with the stovepipes. And I thought that was a wonderful analogy, although she ended up saying, I think they're like 20 stovepipes. Um, because until you get into the uh, commissioner or even the deputy commissioner's level, there's nobody that really makes these decisions. The senior commissioner's reps were originally envisioned to do that, but they have no power, unfortunately, to enforce things as much as they might want to. So the business divisions are just like, hey, look, we're going to do what's best for us. If it's not the best for you, we're sorry. And that's what's happening in a way with uh, some of this work. The paper needs to get done in the service center. Everybody agrees with that. Absolutely. But how it's done and the way it's being done, I think, could have been done much better in consultation with the different business units as well as national and to you and even the managers associations, the uh, professional manager associations and the federal manager associations. If they'd have been consulted, nobody was basically consulted. So it's, it's just the people that actually are doing the work that could help you in making the best decision on how to move forward. We're not the ones that were consulted. Well, Duncan, let me, uh, bring up another issue. We all saw the, I mean, we brought this up before. We saw the president give his State of the Union address, and President Biden has made it clear he wants federal employees to come back to the office. We still have no 30-day invocation as to when IRS employees will come back to the office. Not that we're in any big hurry or anything, but we keep expecting it, and it hasn't happened. Why do you think uh, IRS has not been able to put in motion that 30-day notice uh, for employees to come back to the office. We've been expecting it for a long time, and it, it still hasn't happened. I think that they're trying to actually work out the kinks. And in this one, I think they're trying to talk. I know there have been some discussions with National NTU because they want to do it in what they're calling phases. Um, and so I hope nobody gets phased out um, on this one. It's one of those things we want to try and do it the right way to bring back people that need to be back here um, in the IRS's eyes and then have it basically uh, checked as much as possible by National NTU and other parts of the organization to make sure that folks do need to come back. Because there's going to be, whenever people come back, a great deal of trepidation. Um, I talked to a longtime um managerial employee today who was getting his badge. I ran into him in the hallway. And, you know, he had not been back into this building uh, for a couple of years before now. And he was like, you know, it's going to be very strange for people to come back. And I think that's going to be the way that a lot of people are going to react. There's going to be trepidation. 
There's going to be, why do I have to come back? Because of the fact I'm able to do my job from home. There's going to be others that are going to be going, thank God, I'm tired of working from home. I want to come back. So there's going to be an entire mix of things and, you know, trying to figure out the best way to bring people back with the least amount of anxiety so we can get the most work done is going to be a very uh, fine tightrope. And I think that's what IRS is trying to do right now before letting that other shoe drop and giving that 30 day notice. And I think uh, the one thing that seems to be encouraging to me based on what I've heard from you just now and before is that there seems to be a recognition by the management that bringing people back into an office is a big change after almost two years of not being in an office. And this can be good in one way. So maybe that socialization, getting people together will be a good thing. But there's the other side of it. Maybe people will be on edge and not in the best mental condition. There's emotional condition. So there has to be a recognition of that, I think, before before the trigger is pulled. And, and the fact that the people are actually talking about that is encouraging. Yeah, it, it is a big, there's a lot of psychological issues here. The social anxiety is my, you know, the daughter of the, med- the mental health professional would say. Um it's, it's just wanting to make sure that they're doing it the right way with the right people at the right time, um, you know, because people have been working. We have had people back to the office. Our people working in the tax have been back in the office every single day. Our people in the service centers, there's not people out there sitting at home eating bonbons, collecting checks. These people are back in the service centers working in very close quarters um, you know, so when we hear things like, well, you know, IRS needs to reopen offices and get back to work, it's like, what exactly work is not being done? And nobody can exactly specify that. So there's also the political pressure um, and the perceived public pressure to do this when it's already being done. Duncan, we're out of time. Any final comment? The first thing I'd like to say is, again, I... I want to send my thoughts out uh, to the people in Ukraine who are just undergoing an unimaginable strain to all of us uh, to be able to fight for democracy. And that's what this is. And I am all for um, anybody that's standing up for their rights, whether it's employees here, making sure employees have their rights taken or standing up to a totalitarian government that wants to try and annex their uh, land. So I, you know, wholeheartedly, um, my thoughts go out to them, and I, I can't imagine the courage that they have in doing what they're doing. And the last thing is, is I just, again, want to express my thanks to all the employees out there who are busting their butts every day for the American taxpayer whether you are um, a bargaining unit, non-bargaining unit, whether you are a member of National NTU or staff out there or my fellow chapter leaders across the country. You're doing a great job. You're doing a great service. You are appreciated. And I just want to say I, among countless others, thank you very much. And you just heard Duncan Giles, our chapter president here at Chapter 49, and you've been listening to the Chapter 49 podcast. We try to do this 
every week. We shoot for weekly. We get it most weeks. We do take a, take a few weeks off now and then. So the most important thing is we're, we're very glad that you chose to join us and listen to the entire podcast or watch the entire podcast. You can, again, res, uh, get the audio podcast just about anywhere you find podcasts on uh, sound. Uh, you can find it on any platform. Just search under podcasts by Larry Lannon, L-A-N-N-A-N. I produce a number of podcasts. Just check that listing for the Chapter 49 podcasts. And if you want to see the video, it's on YouTube. Just search for Duncan Giles. You'll find more than one, but uh, you can subscribe to the one where we have the Chapter 49 podcast on his video feed. Uh, again, if you want to get uh, updated uh, regularly on these podcasts, just send an email message to Duncan at nteu49 at aol.com, and he'll put you on the list. In the meantime, please be safe and be kind. Be kind.